Bowling and I don't have a good relationship. I'm just terrible at it, and while you may not care, bowling's just kind of a bit of a thing where I grew up in the Midwest. And no, I'm not trying to invite you to console me and tell me, oh, I'm sure you're not that bad. Trust me, I am being vulnerable here and letting you in on the secret that whether it's 10-pin or candlestick, I struggle immensely to knock the pins down. That is, unless I'm using bumpers. And I get it. Technically, bumper bowling is reserved for kids' birthday parties, so Billy and Jane can go home without bruised egos, but I also want an unbruised ego, and I think it's okay to pretend it's my 10th birthday again from time to time. Now, in the world of operating a recurring revenue business, there aren't too many bumper equivalents, so when you find one, you gotta take advantage. And a good bumper buddy is Jeremy Johnson, the co-founder and CEO of Indela. Distributed teams are his specialty, and as we've all come to learn, an inevitable reality that can actually be a powerful bumper for your business. It can be a challenging bumper to start though, but as he mentions in our talk, just getting pointed in the right direction can help mitigate the pitfalls to fuel your business success. His insight on all of this and more is coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Jeremy Johnson dives deep on distributed teams and scaling. We talk about discovering intelligent talent, doing distributed teams well, building an engine that brings the world closer, the mental framework behind scaling a company, and finding comfort in increased delegation. Jeremy Johnson, CEO and co-founder of Andela. Andela helps some of the fastest growing companies in the world scale their engineering teams with Africa's top developers. So we identify and then develop talent across Sub-Saharan Africa, then connect companies like Envision, Percolate, Cloudflare with some of their oftentimes like first distributed team members. Uh, but over time, and really what makes it possible is distributed done well creates a bit of a superpower for companies because you start to realize, oh, actually, all of a sudden, the challenges I was having from a recruitment and retention standpoint, well, there are a lot more developers that are potential candidates for roles. Turns out there are more developers outside of a 20-mile radius of one's company than inside. But on top of that, you open up to a world of a higher caliber person. And 80% of developers say that they like it more. And so it becomes a work perk as well of being able to not have to commute. It's actually kind of crazy looking at the data on commuting, by the way, which is a totally separate. Yeah. Uh, what do you got for it? What, what facts do you have here? Yeah. Or just interesting anecdotes. Yeah. Double someone's salary or remove their commute and there you get an equal happy, happiness boost for like someone in the middle of the, you know, middle of the first I can imagine we're in Boston and it's like terrible to get around. Yeah. My wife and I both are startup founders in the relatively early stage and we, as much as possible, have tried to like live within walking distance in New York of our offices. And it's like the number one perk for us. Yeah. It's like that's like the thing that we try to optimize around. It's how do you have less of a commute? It changes how, how people operate. I feel unbelievably fortunate to be able to. Like that feels like yeah. extreme, extreme luxury. What's really cool, and we talked about this a little bit before about you know, there's a mission aspect to this as well. Like when you think about you're taking basically unutilized talent 
you're giving it to folks who need the talent. Underutilized, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Underutilized. Yeah, that's what I, isn't that what I said? I saw that. Un versus under. Unutilized. Oh, under. I gotcha. Okay, so you're taking unutilized. Yeah. I mean, if you get in, yeah. In, in essence, if you can get into Andela, we accept 1% of applicants. Got it. If you can get in, you're going to be fine. Like, this is not, a, it's not a handout. It's not like a donation. Andela is yeah. not a charity. Like, you're a top 2% aptitude and problem solving so, human being. You're going to find a job. Andela is an accelerant. Sure. And so Andela would find someone that the world doesn't realize just mm-hmm. how incredible they are yeah. and help advance that person's career dramatically. Got it. So the average person accepted in Andela is in their early to mid-20s, 25 on average, sure. and they're earning just under $4,000 a year. Four years later, that exact same person is earning on average over $40,000 a year. Oh, wow. So you're 10xing That's average income. Some that are significantly more than that. Sure. And so you're creating a system that has a really meaningful impact on sort of expected overall earnings, but in the process, doing it without having to like charge any upfront tuition and also being able to then have that person contribute to the next generation, the next generation. So you create essentially this like evergreen sort of resource that as it generates additional revenue, contributes to the funding or to the training of additional people. And it continues on down the line. And that's because, do you take folks who are fresh, like they've never hacked or coded before? Like rarely it looks like? You know, 65, 70% of people who are accepted in have undergrad experience in computer science or electrical engineering. And they still say that in the two-week boot camp, as part of the application process to Endela, the last step, they learned more about actual software development yeah. than they did in their entire undergraduate sounds, experience. They just haven't applied this stuff as much, yeah. Yeah, and it's also you know a function of how this stuff is applied in different parts of the world. There's more exposure to what we think of as high-end you know, software development best practices in Silicon Valley in New York. That doesn't make you smarter being sure. in Silicon Valley or New York. Intelligence is totally evenly distributed, yeah. but exposure to a high-end engineering environment not at all. This is how we do pull requests. This is how we do exactly, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. And so the Andela, yeah. Andela essentially allows these ecosystems to tap into what that looks like in a high-end way all over the world. Yeah. And what it does is, in addition to providing a talent source for then companies that are like, I really need great engineers, it also allows those ecosystems to essentially bring in sort of knowledge and skills that normally, you know, the fastest growing economies in the world would say, we're going to send our best and brightest to technical universities all over the world. We're going to pay for them to go to MIT. We're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. China, Singapore, so, like yeah. all the time in order to have those people spend four years and then come back, hopefully, after we've funded their education and bring that education back. And Della enables people to do that without leaving their country yeah. and while generating income. And can reinvest back into it. Completely. said this before you're filming, but you said uh, in an article that I read about the recent raise was that this is an economic model that doesn't extract the value from the ecosystem because China and all kinds of folks, their investment in Africa is mostly predicated on taking resources and bringing them back to China. And We're building infrastructure that's really expensive long-term. Yeah, it's really, and you're doing it in a way that's not, again, it's not charity. It's, hey, we're giving you these skills. You're already talented. We're kind of giving you the code hygiene, if you will. 
we're deploying you to different, you know, companies where you're learning even more. And then it's like a self-fulfilling cycle here where they're, you know, teaching the new folks coming into Indela. And then presumably some of these folks are going to, you know, break off and start their own companies and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. And then all of a sudden it's like you guys are extracting value in terms of making money. They're making money. The community's making money, and then all of a sudden, you're you know building these ecosystems up. Which yeah, is really it's cool. the definition of a win-win-win. It's rare, but an honor to be able to yeah. to do. Do you run into problems? So, like, what's really interesting? I, I don't have as much experience, um, work experience in like Africa, but in like Southeast Asia, and particularly in India, like you know, my biggest thing when I was at Google and, and going back and forth to Hyderabad was that. The folks I met were some of the smartest and most talented people I had ever met. And you had people like, you know, who were teaching physics at a university now making PowerPoint decks at Google because it paid more, right? Um, so the talent is absolutely there. But do you run into kind of like the stigma a little bit? Because I remember, you know, when I would explain and I was like, oh my God, we got to hire some folks in India. Maybe we open an office, more offices and all that kind of stuff. It was like, oh, it's India. That's like Dell tech support, right? And like the perception, unfortunately, with like Africa is like not great when it comes to the US, right? Like, do you run into that with like trying to sell, you know, hey, we have this talent? All the time. And in fairness, less now than four years ago. I'm sure, yeah. Now, the, these things change slowly. Like, narratives take a long time to change. Sure. Technology changes really rapidly. Yeah. People and their perception, yeah. way harder. And so four years ago when we started, no one had ever, at least in, like, you know, the New York or, you know, Boston, yeah. San Francisco tech ecosystems had ever contemplated the notion of we're going to have team members based in Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda. Like, that wasn't part of their, like, thought process. Yeah. I'd say now we're working with a couple hundred of the fastest growing companies in the country. Yeah. Most of the top CTOs in the country have a friend right now that is leveraging Andel in some way and has Andel engineers on their team. Cool. And as a result of that, the conversation has shifted from like, wait a second, did you say Africa and software development? Like, I don't yeah. know if I heard you correctly, which, you know, we would like pretend not to be offended by and we would just be like, yeah, actually we did. And then now it's much more actually, yeah, no, that all makes sense. So we're interested, but we're trying to figure out how to do distributed well. Can you help us with that instead? And so it's just shifted completely. You know, the notion of distributed isn't crazy and the notion of Africa isn't crazy anymore. Increasingly, I'd say distributed teams are becoming normalized. The question is how to do it well. And it's actually not that simple for a company that has never done it before Mm -hmm. to begin. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the kind of thing where you do have to incorporate a series of different best practices for how you're going to, you know, document decisions and how meetings will be run that once you start doing them are easy, but anything new feels hard. Yeah. It's fascinating too, because I was thinking while you said that, I was like, what's the bigger knowledge gap doing distributed or hiring, you know, engineers in Africa. And I feel like the bigger knowledge gaps is distribution or distributive teams because, you know, like engineers, it's like, are they good or are they bad? They're good. And you can quantify it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's quantifiable. And you guys obviously now have a brand and can educate and all that kind of stuff. It's a realization on the engineering side of, wait a second, actually, this 26-year-old young woman from Nairobi is one of the best engineers on my team. Like, how'd that happen? Like, that's just like, aha, the world is bigger and broader than I realized. And that's a cool, fun thing to see, but it's easy. Doing distributed well requires continued pushing and pressure over time. It's, you know, it's building a habit. You can build habits. We all do it all the time. But you got to be pretty conscious of how you're doing it. And we've seen in the data, it's never a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
with distributed. Like, just because you, you can't have, like, a 10,000-person company and not have distributed, Dude, you know, mindsets. Better. Yeah, like, think of the world 10 years from now. Sure. You and I are having this conversation, except we're actually in New York and Boston. Sure. It just feels like we're sitting next to each other because virtual reality has gotten to a point where you can actually have this conversation. Put this on and, and see each other, yeah. it literally feels like we're here. At that point, utterly obvious that the world is distributed because it would be insane not to be. Sure, sure, so the question exactly is like not just a function of like whether it will happen. It's 100% if and when over the next 10 years companies will get there. Do you think that that takes all of the objections? I, I mean, I, I assume that that means all the objections to remote come off the table, right? Yeah, they disappear because we forget what offices mean at that point. And we forget what being in person means, which is some interesting mm-hmm. beer conversations we could probably have later. It becomes an extreme luxury yeah. in the same way that people go to TED to be together and spend a ton of money being there. It's a luxury to be able to travel to that or Davos right yeah. now. It's not that the in-person will go away. It becomes more and more of a luxury as it's less and less of a business requirement. Sure. When you think about distributed teams, like, so your customer, you mentioned a lot of, like, nice big customers. Like, are you all the way up and down? Like, a 10-person team can spin up, you know, uh, an Indela group of devs? Or is it more like, hey, like, once you reach that 50 and you need to add additive, like, that's where it's at? Like, where do you think about your customer? Yeah, so... The most common, like the, I'd say, sweet spot, if you will, is a company that is 50 to 500 people scaling pretty quickly and thinking through now, how do we continue hiring in order to not have our product roadmap get away from us? Like we need to hire faster than we're capable of. And how do we, how do we augment that? At the same time, we have partners and we do this only when there's essentially an engineering lead on the team that has either some exposure distributed or we feel like is just sufficiently experienced that they can manage it well. But we have partners where, you know, they have six engineers and Dell engineers are three of them. But it, there are certain things that we have to make sure are in place for us to say, you know what, we're going to take that on. Because we're super selective about, like, do we think this is going to be a successful engagement? And if not, like, we don't really want to, you know, you don't really want to set it up. It just yeah. takes too much time. It's, it's like hiring. It's like you don't want to hire someone. If you're not really confident, it's going to work out because you're going to be working together for a period of time. So it's the same on both sides. So you guys have raised a a good, a good amount of cash. Like there's probably a lot of reasons why you're raising so much cash, right? Like even if I just think about the logistics of what you guys have set up, like multiple different hundred plus person offices in you know, Africa, then you have, I'm sure, like a whole tech team that works with the Intel engineers as well, the training, all that kind of fun stuff. Is the vision to continue to kind of replicate the model or is there like, here's the next step? Like, how, how do you think about that? Yeah. So I would say over the past four years, we started with this notion of like, we need to identify and cultivate extraordinary talent. And it was very straightforward. Companies wanted to find amazing talents. This opened up this new pool of high-end brain power they wouldn't have otherwise been able to tap into. Yeah. And it created this nice symbiotic win-win relationship. Sure. But now that we've assessed 100,000 aspiring you know, developers and current developers across the continent, it's 130,000 now. Wow. We've accepted 1,100. Yeah. We're working with a couple hundred companies. Eventually, you start collecting enough data on 
which developers are going to work with which companies most effectively based on personality types, based on you know things well beyond just technical knowledge, yeah. that you're able to leverage that to build systems to reinforce it. And so over the past four years, we've spent a lot of time and energy building out, and people don't realize it's about the company. They think of it as essentially a pure talent like marketplace. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes around how you match developers and then how you support companies in managing developers to understand exactly what the output looks like. And it's just really difficult for individual companies to have sort of the wherewithal to be able to do that really well, absent having you know thousands and thousands of data points of developers working with companies and seeing how it goes. And so, yeah, the largest companies are starting to think about this, but this is our business. Yeah. And so over time, what you're going to see is it becoming more obvious to companies that part of why working with Andela is so effective is the access to data and systems that we've built to power distributed work. And that will become more and more visible over time and how that interacts with companies and how companies are benefiting from the collective like knowledge and tech that has been built to power how engineering functions. Yeah. Do you basically think about like the current Indela iteration as one giant MVP for then kind of the developing the technology? Work. Like maybe we don't hire Indela engineers, but we're using the Indela software to have our own distributed team. And then we're spinning up different projects for Indela engineers. Is that like the grander vision? Is that where we're headed? So my suspicion is that, that it will look sort of like that, but that it will become obvious because using that Indela platform, you'll see that actually working with Andela engineers is the most effective way to build, mm. that it becomes it's sort of mutually reinforcing. Like dollar for dollar right now, if you're looking to accelerate a product, or like basically product velocity, sure. Andela is the absolute best way that you can go about that dollar for dollar. You can only prove that right now with companies that manage their teams really effectively. That makes sense. And that are really good at quantifying the output of each developer. We have to make that easier for companies to see. Yeah, that makes sense. Your whole career has been very like education focused. And what always fascinates me about like the education world is there's ways to make money, you know, to you, you know, which you co-founded, you know, obviously is a you know nice profitable public company now. And then there's also like the I want to save the world, right? And there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg. They they follow each other and you want to do both, right? But was there when you were thinking about Indela, was there one that you were like, oh man, there's you know, there's this unutilized talent, let's connect it. Or was it more like, hey, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa has got a lot of work to do. Like, or, or was there any trade-off there, any starting point? Like, what was kind of maybe to refine the question and make it a little bit better? Like, what was the kernel of like, hey, let's go do this? Yeah, I would say first it's important to know that it's really hard to do anything that matters in education and not actually care about trying to have a positive impact. Like, you just don't get into education if you're trying to there's maximize short-term financial. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, so yeah. many like easier ways yeah. to make money. It's a fascinating business. The long-term impact is staggering. Again, the wealth of nations is the education of the people there. Like, the long-term impact is almost impossible to quantify. It's so impactful. At the same time, like again, it's complicated. And so, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, from a people are complicated standpoint, like it's it's just not a simple industry to build companies in. But with 2U, we started off very much with the goal of how do you increase access to really high-quality education? Like, Can you build online education that is high-quality, that has real student outcomes? And so it was very much outcome-focused. At the same time, as we grew, I had the, I would say, extraordinary like combination of luck and privilege of being able to then think about what I was going to do next through the lens of 
what is the change you want to see? And then how do you build an engine to accomplish that thing? And so I don't think most entrepreneurs have that luxury. Do you know what I mean? And that was entirely a function of how well two you did and what I was able to learn from the experience. And so it wasn't sort of a, that was one thing and I'm going to try to have like real impact now. Like the two you had a really positive impact on, you know, scaled some of the top nursing and teaching programs in the country 10, 20x while having as good or better graduation and job placement rates. Like it's, it's a good thing. I was definitely thinking of Andela in a much sort of broader way of like, what is the engine you want to build that sort of brings the world a little closer together and helps us realize that brilliance is evenly distributed in a market-driven way that solves real problems. Kind of fascinating. You've had two companies now that maybe a third or fourth, I don't know, kind of beyond to you, but you've had a couple companies now. There's one small one before that. It crashed and burned, but it was learned a bunch. It it all happens, right? Uh, I mean, both companies have scaled, right? Like in a space that both had elements of, you know, I know to you, there was a huge like open sourcey kind of free model, right? Like there wasn't like you paid, but you didn't have to like, right? Like something Mm, like that. I miss you. You might be thinking about the MOOCs. Oh, not the the MOOCs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Coursera. Got it. Got it. Mess that up. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great organizations also, but slightly different approaches to you. uh, We had, it was full graduate degree programs. And now they've introduced since I've left short courses as well by acquiring a South African company, interestingly, which was a, you know, fun world colliding thing for me. But yeah, it was focused on full graduate degree programs. But, you know, at the same time, being able to scale them in a pretty significant way, far more than you'd be able to on campus. Got it. So let me make, rephrase, like you've scaled, like you're, you've been witness and been involved in scaling two companies pretty quickly, right? What have you kind of learned with that, right? Like what's, what's like the biggest thing you've learned in like scaling a company? Because, you know, a lot of us, like there's so much advice on going from zero to 20 people and like zero to maybe a hundred people. But you're talking about like some pretty large companies, like going from a hundred to a thousand people, whether they're full-time employees, distributed team, et cetera. Like what are some of the meats that like people don't really talk about? So much. So the thing that I think it all comes back to is awareness that every time you double in size, you're basically a new company. And so scaling company is not scaling company. It's scaling lots of companies. Because let's say you're doubling every year, you literally have a different company every year that you're trying to build, which means you need different systems and different processes and a different approach to what you as a leader of that company need to do to be successful. And so the companies that do it well are constantly looking at how are we growing both as individuals and as an organization to support where we are, but also where we want to be a year from now. Because as soon as you stop thinking about how do we support where we're going to be a year from now? you get there and you're stuck because you can't change it overnight. And so I think this is a, a just a poorly understood component of high growth companies. It's not a natural thing for human organizations to double year over year. It's just the way that venture capital drives growth. Sure. You can't look at almost any other human system in the world and say like that's a comparable experience. Mm-hmm. And so on the other side, the experience for employees, for the team members going through that, is like, oh my God, what's going on? Like things are changing constantly. It feels like chaos. Like all these things are wrong. And the challenge is like, that's part of the process. Like it almost can't be done another way. 
Or at least I've never seen it done yeah. another way. And it's not a good or a bad thing, but it's a thing. And it's much easier to deal with that thing if you're clear about it, that this is what's going to happen and this is what it's going to feel like for everyone involved. Yeah. It's going to feel at times like chaos, no matter how well structured it is, no matter how well run it is. We're going to be building a series of companies as opposed to a company. Our values will be the same, but everything else is going to shift. Do you feel like the things that contribute to a really great distributed team are also the things that contribute to scaling? Like, do you feel like they're aligned? Because I feel like what you're what you're getting at is like one over communication. You know, hey, this is this is what's going on. This is what happened. You know, this is what's going to happen. Right. The concept of like things are always going to be changing. Roll with the punches. The con like we're building multi. Like it, it just kind of feels like they're hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. I describe it slightly differently, but I really like that a lot. I try to explain to people all the time is that like being a good distributed manager is actually the exact same thing as being a good manager. It's just if you're in person, you can screw a bunch of things up that are just tougher too. And yeah. so it's sort of like you know when you're a kid, you go bowling with the bumpers at all. They're so useful. Unless you're good at bowling, in which case you never touch them. Yeah. The ball doesn't go near the ends. Mm. And as a result of that, like if you're a professional bowler, they don't matter. But if you're six and trying to figure it out, they're game changing. Mm. If you're managing for the first time, it's hard to do it in a distributed way. But if you're really good at managing, you don't care because you're already giving people clear instructions. You're already documenting decisions. You're already helping the team understand what the North Star is and what the variables are. You're already thinking through what could go wrong and helping people prepare for that in the same way that you'd explain that this is how a company feels when it's going through hypergrowth. It's going to feel like a different company. It's going to feel like chaos. So yes, I think that you're, you're totally right. It could be a function of distributed, doing distributed well is the same as doing management well, is the same as building you know, a company to scale. There are a lot of the same things in the same way that building a company to scale requires really good management of that company. It's oddly almost like a forcing function to get good, right? We have an office, a small office in Rosario, Argentina. So we have about 10, 10 team members down there, all product. Yeah. As soon as that happened, like we were, we were good with documentation and everything like that on the engineering side, but all of a sudden it forced us to get even better at it, right? Because you just have that constraint and you need to do your hygiene, your time gene, if you will, around over communication, et cetera, making sure people aren't second class citizens, you know, at companies and stuff like that. So exactly. yeah, it's really interesting. That's why I said like, it's not a matter of if, it's when, and you know, when it hits, you know, distributed teams, multiple offices, et cetera, like it really forces you to get good at what you're supposed to be good at already, which is cool. That's awesome. That's, that's exactly right. Well said. A couple of last questions. Something you struggled with in your career, like could be any time in your career that you got over and how did you overcome it? Yeah. I mean, we learn, like it is the definition of learning is like, what are you struggling with? And then how are you, how are you figuring it out? And so another common refrain from my team is the notion of we have to constantly be learning and growing. I must be learning and growing every quarter or I'm not going to be the right leader for this team. Yeah. And you guys are moving fast. And so you it's have hard. to keep yeah. learning. The faster you learn, the faster you can grow, the faster you can actually execute. And so in the earlier days, getting over a sense of ego or a sense that like your perception is right, I think was a powerful one in my mid to late 20s. We all go through it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, actually, no, we all see the world through the lens of our own experiences. Yeah. And if you really want to understand it, you need to bring together a group of diverse people who see the world differently, yeah. basically. And as a result of that, are able to see it more accurately. Mm -hmm. Because by combining those experiences, you create a fuller picture. 
And therefore, it's important to trust yourself, but remember that you're only seeing out of, you know, a portion of one eye and, you know, you need to count on people around. I'd say another has been, you know, just comfort with, you know, increased delegation and the realization that ultimately the more you solve problems for other people, the less the organization builds muscles around problem solving themselves. It's tough when you have a lot of opinions not to share them. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't say I'm perfect at all at it, but it's uh, it's something I'm painfully aware of and a, a necessary part of scaling. And, you know, the team at Andela right now is extraordinary. Like, I, I feel so blessed on a daily basis to be able to work with them. And I think that's been part of how I've been able to get over this. What do you think best, like, facilitated? Both those things are, like, ongoing journeys, right? Because, like, even if you're you know, as egoless as you can, you're still going to have moments of ego and like stuff like that. Like, what do you think's helped diminish those, those kind of negative bugs that come out? Like, is it mentors, just introspection, bad things that happen that you're like, oh shit, we can't do this again. Meditation. Like, super useful. Meditation. Actually. Yeah. That's actually a true answer, but it's certainly broader. I, part of it's just experience. Like the value of experience, again, is that you beat your head against a wall enough times and you start realizing, oh, Maybe I shouldn't do that. Like that, that hurt. And so, you know, pain is a useful signal. Maybe this is not the right idea. And so I think it's one of the under undervalued components of experience is that you've just felt this, you know, this thing, you've seen this play before. And as a result of that, you're, you know, willing to take a step back and say, I don't, I don't want to do it this way again. But now it's not easy. A huge shout out to Jeremy for doing the podcast. Now you know everything about distributed teams and scaling. Today we talked about discovering intelligent talent, doing distributed teams well, building an engine that brings the world closer, the mental framework behind scaling a company, and finding comfort in increased delegation. Oh, and if you want to support ProfitWell in the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a five-star review of the podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen and watch. The podcast gods tend to like that type of thing, and, you know, we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 